0: So this week on the podcast, I have on my friend Austin Bell. So I met Austin at the Western Hunting Summit, and Austin is fairly new to Western hunting, but he's but he's hungry to to gain knowledge and to grow his skill set and to find consistent success on on backcountry elk. Uh, he's an absolute go getter, keeps himself in great shape and working hard. Uh, so he sent me a text and and had some questions relating to last year's hunting season and related to getting into elk consistently. And, and so I thought it'd be a great conversation to have over the podcast. He brings this fresh perspective where, you know, it's been 25 years since I started bow hunting and, and went through some of these trials and tribulations in the beginning stages of figuring it out. And Austin's fresh to it now, uh, super intelligent, so he brings a great conversation. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and I think you guys will enjoy it too. I want to thank my sponsors for today's show. Uh, I want to thank High Mountain Seasoning. High Mountain Seasoning has everything for your wild game needs. Uh, I really like their jerky seasonings as they have all different flavors, and every one I've tried has been great. Uh, so, jerky seasonings, they got everything for snack sticks, everything for summer sausage. Uh, they got steak marinades. Uh, you name it, they have it. So if you need to spice up your wild game a bit, uh, make sure to go check them out at High Mountain Seasonings. Also, I want to thank Swagger Bipods. Uh, Swagger builds really good bipods. Like they're intuitive. So their, their bipods are spring-loaded, and so you can lean back and get tension back as you're shooting. You can also swivel on the top of the bipod. So if you have an animal tracking right or tracking left, you don't have to pick up your bipod and move it. Your rifle will swivel right on the top. It'll also swivel downhill, swivel uphill. Uh, they just make for a great, stable platform for shooting. Uh, they've got multiple different products. They've got uh, their, their bench rest, which is a smaller bipod that fits on your rifle. They've got their standard, uh, which is a 42 inch, which is good from a sitting, kneeling position, uh, or laying down prone. Um, and, and it's just a great sturdy bipod that mounts to your rifle. They also have shooting sticks that have the same spring tension loaded, same up and down, same swivel capabilities. So if you don't like the extra weight on your rifle, you can get their shooting sticks. Uh, being an accurate shooter is all about the rest and Swagger builds the best ones made. So make sure to check them out over there at Swagger. And with that over at Eastman's, um, man, just working away, uh, been getting some good podcasts here lately. Um, gosh, I'm, I'm just finishing up an article now that's going to go in the new sheep issue in Eastman's hunting journal. Uh, it's all about extreme backpacking, building your kit and trying it out. Uh, really happy how this article is coming out. I got to fine tune it and, and put my pictures together and turn it in here by the end of the week. But, uh, I think it'll be a great article and I've got some great projects coming up for Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal as well. So, um, yeah, check out the magazines. A subscription to it. Uh, it also gets you the MRS, which is the Members Research Section. Uh, which, if you guys listen to the podcast, you've heard me talk about it. it it's just a an absolute wealth of knowledge about uh, every different Western state and the the tag opportunities it offers, uh, rifle seasons, bow seasons. Uh, success odds, three-year success odds, Uh, and then they do a rating system and a rating as far as uh, access, trophy potential, Um, you know, there's so much information in there that helps to learn these Western states. And we also have uh, an Internet research tool called TagHub that compiles all this, this information data that's available through the Internet, through your phone, or through your desktop and uh, I've been using that more and more to figure out where I'm applying. Like part of this the, this blue-collar do-it-yourself, like the opportunities available for us working-class guys is like drawing one of these these good coveted tags and then being able to research it and go down on our own and be successful. And so uh, I get my name in a lot of hats and uh, hoping to get lucky again this year on some good tags and some good adventures. Uh, but make sure to check it out. It's, a, it's an amazing resource uh with that make sure to check out the the tv shows uh, you search eastman's hunting tv on youtube i think they just released another elk episode of mine on there and um also check us out on the outdoor channel uh, i saw uh i think it was two years ago elk hunt that uh came up that was that was playing on there as well so check that out and um yeah with that we've been in um deep winter here in montana uh, got bitter cold it's been snowing quite a bit uh driveway my daughter's been stuck in the driveway in the drifts and so uh winter showed up but it's good uh, I I heard uh, before these latest snows we had hit over 100% of our snowpack which is really good for the rivers really good for the mountains and um just hoping it it it, it kind of gets a, a a little bit milder here uh just so the animals don't have a tough end to the winter as well you know it'll help for um you know, just the health of the populations, uh, those, those mule deer are so susceptible to tough winters. So, um, yeah, hoping it gets mild here and, and, um, you know, we can start getting into spring and, and, uh, start getting into that fun stuff like hunting bears and things. So, um, yeah, just, uh, getting in my training runs, uh, been skiing a little bit more because of the deep snow, but, uh, finally it's kind of clear south of the valley and gosh, I've been running through that snow. It's just a heck of a good workout. So getting those in and shooting my bow and applying for tags and, and uh, just getting ready for these springtime hunts. So super excited for season, as I'm sure you guys are too. But let's get into this podcast. This is a great one. So this is uh, Austin Bell. I'm your host, Brian Barney. It's Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Okay, so I've got Austin Bell on so uh austin and i met at the western hunting summit and um became buddies at the western hunting summit and have kept in touch since then and um he just rang me up and and had a few questions and and uh, wanted to talk about his elk season so i i thought i'd record it for the podcast so thanks a bunch for being on austin
1: absolutely brian i appreciate the invite you reaching out and uh asking me to be on an episode i've listened to uh Lord knows how many, uh, Eastman's elevated episodes and yeah, I'm stoked to be on. So thanks for the invite.
0: Good. So the, so you like the content then it's connecting with you.
1: Absolutely. I can, uh, can't tell you how much I've learned, um, from you and from all of your guests. Um, it's, it's an incredible podcast around bow hunting and, you know, I've picked up things around just your overall mindset, um, how to prepare for hunting season. So it's an incredible resource for uh, a new big game hunter like myself.
0: Okay. Uh, Well, thanks again for the compliment, man. I really appreciate it. It's like this podcast is so wild. I'm so humbled by the support of it. And, um, you know, like guys listen in and, you know, I feel like I've got friends out there that I've never met, you know? So it's like uh, you guys get to know me really well. And, um, you know, and, and then I get a chance to meet and know you like at that Western Summit, um, we hung out there, man. I had a good time at that thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I can say for sure that being on the other end of this line, you know, I listened to your podcast prior to meeting you at the Western hunting summit, um, and and felt like I knew you in a way before meeting you there, but then, you know, getting to hang out over that weekend and, and spend time on the mountain and spend time in the bow shop and in the classroom per se. Um, you know, it, it, connected those dots and then now when I listen to the podcast it it feels like that much deeper of an experience but you're right you do have friends out there that you don't even know because these guys connect with you um on many different levels and and yeah that western hunting summit was uh an incredible event for me and just an awesome time um can't recommend that that event enough uh you know the the stealthy hunter family um ryan and doc hillary are are awesome they put on an awesome event there and then you know with with great guests like yourself and mark livasay and cody rich and i mean the list can go on and on but that that event was phenomenal
0: oh it's killer to hear yeah uh Ryan is great people like everybody has there he's just a he's a good person and um, man I'm just happy to be a part of it like it's a pretty cool deal but yeah that that weekend you came I think um, I think you were on the the first trip in there um, but we saw a bunch of bears and I remember one night like me and you went down to go get water and um, walked down to the creek and you're in really good shape as well like you used to be a soccer player right
1: yeah yeah played, uh, played soccer my whole life
0: Yep. So, so we did a, a a bunch of miles getting into camp with weight and things and me and you went down to go fill water that night and walk down and the sun's kind of setting and we're way up in the mountains and we drop down in the basin and then see like this giant boar, um, black bear that's working right up the draw towards us. Like this spirit bear, you know, just like the one you'd really want to shoot too. And so we kind of knelt down and that thing just worked right by us in the drainage and all the way up the drainage. Um, that was, that was a pretty cool experience.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was super cool. Um, you know, we saw a lot of game that day and over that weekend, um, you know, on the hike in we, we saw a few animals, but then once we were in, you know, we started seeing a lot of game moving around, but that, that was probably the most special encounter special moment of the weekend for me. Just, you know, the two of us cruising down a hillside, not thinking much of it, just ready to go fill up some water for the night and out pops that bear. And, you know, we probably had a, you know, 90 second, 120 second encounter with him. You know, it wasn't that long, and he just kept cruising, worked right by us, and never spooked or smelled us. It was just cool to watch him in his element, just doing his thing.
0: That was way cool. Yeah, a bunch of green grass down there, springtime. Yeah, it was fun. Um, that oh, was yeah. probably my best encounter of any of the summits uh, as far as with critters. We did see, um, we hiked up on the ridge and did this big, long um, hike uh, up on the ridge one day and hiked up there and found like seven bowls down below us. And one was a pretty good six point. So that was a pretty cool experience as well, but no, that, that one stuck with me, but, um, yeah, I had such a fun time there with you and, and, uh, throughout the whole deal, like you're, you're just trying to, to further your learning curve and get better at this Western hunting. Maybe give me some background of your hunting experience.
1: Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've grown up in a hunting family um, in some ways because I was introduced to bird hunting at a pretty young age by my father, um, and I, I'm one of four kids, but I've got two brothers. Um, so, growing up, you know, we did some bird hunting here in Colorado out on the eastern plains. Um, back when we started, it was, it still kind of is easy to get permission for birds. Um, seems like the more you work up that ladder in terms of size of animal tougher it is to get permission but (laughs) (laughs) over the years um you know just going out and being respectful being polite knocking on doors we've we've gotten to know quite a few farmers and landowners out on the eastern plains of Colorado that allow us to come out there and do some pheasant hunting so that's kind of what I grew up doing and you know a little bit of fishing here and there but um growing up I definitely grew up in like a team sports family um And for me, more than any of the siblings, I was, I was all in on team sports, um, played baseball, football, uh, like I mentioned, soccer, lacrosse, pretty much everything I could growing up and all the way through high school. And then went on to play, um, collegiate soccer and had a little stint of some, some pro ball after school. But, um, team sports is always my life growing up and just being active. So I I love the outdoors, um, you know, snowboarded, hiked, everything that comes with the Colorado lifestyle. So that was awesome. Um, and then once I graduated from college, um, you know, had all this energy from just being a lifelong athlete and training every day, um, having those off season and then season times where you're really ramping up training and preparing for something. And, And that kind of fell away when I quit playing competitively. And, um, I would actually never had a, a big game mentor or anybody who really nudged me in that direction, even though some of my uncles and, and family members do some hunting, it wasn't really like a tradition per se that was passed down to me. I just had this interest in, in bow hunting and, um, through listening to a bunch of different podcasts, um, as much as everybody gives the, the JRE show, the Joe Rogan podcast, some, <laughs> some flack, um, You know, I got to listen to guys like Cam Haynes and Adam Greentree and Steve Ranella on that show, and it sparked a fire in me to to want to pursue something like that. And um, then I was finally able to shoot my first compound bow, um, uh, brother-in-law or my girlfriend's brother-in-law shoot his bow one time. And after I flung that first arrow, I decided at that moment that I was going to save up and buy a compound bow because... It was just so much fun and something I wanted to do. And, uh, that was about five years ago. Um, so I've just been kind of on a DIY journey for the last five years, trying to figure out what it means to, to bow hunt, big game animals. And, uh, at these early stages, not just bow hunt, um, trying to increase my seasons by getting out there during rifle seasons as well and, and just seizing opportunities. So I'm about five years in and, uh, this past season, um put a ton of time and miles in and ac- ended up eating tag soup but the year before that I was I was able to harvest my first elk I got a cow elk on opening day so it was awesome to kind of complete that that portion of this you know the cycle of a hunter's journey and and finally haul meat off the mountain and then process it and eat it and and just feel that that full experience so I've been all in since the first Weekend I went out elk hunting. I had an awesome encounter with a, a big herd and a herd bull, um, and didn't get a shot off. But just that adrenaline and um, excitement and passion that that comes from being close to animals like that, um, I've been absolutely hooked ever since, and it's all I think about now. <laughs>
0: How cool. You've got the sickness like the rest of us.
1: <laughs> I've got it for sure. <laughs>
0: well, for that's sure. so cool that uh sports is so good for kids. Those team sports and there's so many good life lessons to learn there and and I think um you know, it's it's good to be competitive as a kid and and um to really find out what you're made of and and what your limits are and to push past that. And I think that tra- transitions so well into hunting and and same for me, is, uh, you. You're not the exact same story, but, you know, I hunted as a kid growing up and um, fell in love with bow hunting, but I had those sports that occupied my time in high school and in wrestling. I was just all in on training for wrestling just year round and trying to accomplish these goals. And the same as you, when I kind of got done, I had like this, this empty feeling of now what, you know, and, it, and that's where I found backcountry hunting as well. And it was just... Um, It's difficult, right? Starting from scratch, like where you're at, man, it's tough starting from the bottom and trying to figure it all out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, there's been many frustrating days, um, you know, putting miles in and putting time in and and then not seeing game or um, just running into a lot of pressure. So it's a serious challenge, but I don't think I would be as hooked on it as I am if it wasn't you know, as, as big of a challenge as it is. Cause I couldn't agree with you more on, the, on the team sports stuff. Um, you know, for kids, uh, develops character, develops discipline, um, creates accountability. Yeah. Um, so all those lessons, I think really easily translate to the challenge that is big game hunting and bow hunting. Cause, um, I can apply lessons off the field to, to so many different aspects of it for sure.
0: Dude, that's so cool. That um, that approach and mentality, um, and keeping a positive attitude and being able to cross those hurdles—it's such a major deal in hunting, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to stay positive, um, and you know you have to you have to learn from those lessons, um, and and get better. And it's a you know you can a lot of people talk about how to cut the learning curve, but um you know, there's going to be a learning curve for everybody. Yes. And so it's it's all about just learning from your mistakes, improving every day, and, and kind of trusting in that process. And that's what I try to remind myself of too, because, you know, not to make athletics the only thing we talk about, but um, those lessons of, of, you know, working your butt off and then coming up short and, and having to go back to the grind to get better for the next time, Um, that's the process that really is, you know, you show up and put the work in day in, day out, and eventually you find success in whatever you do, if you're willing to, to continue with that work. So that's what I try to apply to, to my own pursuit of getting better as a hunter.
0: Good for you. Just the, the perfect approach for Western hunting and learning. And, um, it is, it can get frustrating at times, but it's always about getting back out there and putting in the work. Yeah. I couldn't set it better myself. Um, man. And I can, I can see, um, you know, I think I called you yesterday. I was so impressed. Uh, we connected yesterday and, um, you said, Oh, I, I'm just getting done from a run. What about you? And I said, Oh yeah, I'm just coming off the hill. I just made my truck and you go, Oh, how far'd you go? And I, I told you, I said, um, Oh, I did five or six. And I, I did do a thousand vert to be fair. But uh, then I asked you and you go, yeah, I did 10 and a half. And um, it's not too many guys that I call that outwork me during a day.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know if it was, you know, outwork overall, like I say, it's day in, day out. It's that consistency. And I know you bring that to the table. So Yesterday was a big day for me, but generally when I hit those those double-digit mile days, the next day is a recovery day. Lots of mobility exercises, stretching, icing, recovering, um, and then lots of arrows too. So for me, it's just it's each and every day you have to put in that work in one way you know in one way or another. Some days it's long miles, other days it's a intense circuit or something, but no, I and yesterday was a pretty flat day for me too. So you start throwing some ups and downs in that and, and that's a totally different game. So I used to get a lot of Vert in when I was living out in Montrose and, and now I'm back in the Denver area, so I, I push it out a little bit more and, and get some of those longer flat runs in.
0: Well and and my point was is that um you're putting in the work even when nobody's watching, you know. It was like we You know, you you didn't even know we were going to talk yesterday. I don't even think we made plans to talk. I think I called you when I got back from my run just to connect. (laughs) We had talked about a week ago or so, but – Um, yeah, my point is, is that you're, you're putting in the work, you have the right mindset and and you're on that learning curve and you're hooked on it. You're passionate about it. And like, I think that's like the perfect recipe to, to find success in this game. And not that it's all about success. It's also about the enjoyment and the process of the journey, you know, and and enjoying that along the way. But man, I think you got the perfect recipe for it. And I think you're putting in the work and you're going to see, you know, nothing but success in your future. So man, it's just awesome.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Brian. I, I appreciate the kind words and encouragement, man. And yeah, I, I do love the grind. You know, I, I, I've fallen in love with the grind that it takes to achieve success in, in life, whether it's athletics or the professional world or, or hunting or whatever it is. Um, you know, I, I love to test myself and push my limits and get a good sweat in and, and grind and hurt and then, and feel better afterwards because of it. Cause I don't know, for me in my brain it, it feels necessary to put in that work, even if it does hurt or even if it you know doesn't feel good, not doing it feels worse for me, so it's like a necessity.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that's absolutely right. And it's 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 paying your dues. It's putting in that work every single day to get better at what you love to do. You know, that's the way I see it. You know, whether it's shooting my bow or whether it's running those miles, I'm trying to get better for two thousand twenty one. You know, you gotta stay hungry and like I, I'm happiest when I have that passion and drive in my life, you know, same as same as what you have, that passion to get better. Um, man, I, I think that's such a, a big key to see the bigger picture and just like like one run isn't gonna make the difference. If you added it all up and one run is gonna make the difference between me being successful or not successful this season during archery season after a bowl or whatever it is, it's not gonna make the difference. But it it's that accumulative. That's it's that day in that day out, and it's not only that, but it's that those lessons you talked about that self discipline, making yourself do it. You know, it, it's also easy to give in on a hunt, you know. But if you make yourself do it, you, you tend to 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 build that mental toughness and that drive to where when it is hunting season, you know, there's no sleeping in or there's no giving in early or no hiking to the top of that mountain because heck, I've been training for 365 days for this thing. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm ready to cut these legs loose and go for it. And, and, and when you are in good shape like that and you have trained like that, it's amazing what your limits actually are in the mountains.
1: Yep. Yeah. And I would say that this past season was probably the first time, um, where I I really felt the, the payoff of, of the work that I've been doing, even, even though I wasn't able to fill my tag, um, you know, being a new hunter, you know, I've had plenty of days in those early days, especially of, of giving up early or not getting after it early in the morning because of bad weather or something. And like we talk about, it's like that lack of work feels a whole lot worse than doing the work. Nobody likes waking up early in the cold, but it's nowhere near as sucky as the the feeling in your stomach when you, you know, when you don't get to the Ridge at first light or when you don't get out of your truck early enough because of bad weather or whatever it is. Um, And, and this season, I, you know, I had a unique um, opportunity because, you know, in a silver lining way, my job kind of came to an end in August, but, you know, no better, timing for a bow hunter than to have a completely free schedule in september and um you know i spent 23 or 24 days out of the month of september in the field and most of those are spent sleeping on the ground so there's no way i could have spent that many days of field if if i hadn't been putting in the reps in the off season and really pairing my preparing my body and mind for that kind of grind
0: man um so cool to have the time isn't it you know whether it was Uh, planned or serendipitous, you know, it's like, um, gosh, bow season, and you got the time to go. And you put in a lot of work with your bow uh, preseason, just learning more about archery and diving into it. Like, you've been shooting a bow for a handful of years, but you made just some changes to your setup this year that helped as well, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. Actually, um, I, you know, I purchased my first quote, real bow um, this past summer, kind of treated myself for my birthday. My birthday is the 4th of July. So right over that weekend, I I bought myself a a new bow and I I ended up getting a Hoyt. And that was one of the brands that I was considering for a long time. And just, you know, I knew I had to go from an entry level bow to to one of the top tier makers. So kind of came down to a few of the top brands like, you know, Matthews, Prime, PSC, and Hoyt were kind of the main ones I was was looking at, but I got a a new bow, but it was really a need for me to step my game up in archery because um, I was shooting prior to that a a Diamond SB Edge, Um, so, you know, a a decent bow, but definitely an entry-level bow, but, um, you know, I I think I picked it up at Cabela's, um, probably spent 30 minutes with the guy there, uh, when I bought it. And, um, I didn't find out until about two and a half or three years into archery that I had a, a 31 or, you know, 31 plus inch draw length. And I, I was shooting a bow that maxed out at 30 inches. Um, and so, you know, in order for me to, to really be an accurate archer and execute good shots, which, you know, I kind of knew in my mind, and in my body, what needed to happen in order to shoot a good shot. But I was limited by kind of crunching into that draw length. And you and I actually talked about that a little bit at the Western hunting summit and, um, yeah, getting that new bow and finally feeling really, really comfortable in my setup was a game changer for my confidence for sure.
0: Man. So cool. Yeah. Um, so shooting good, worked hard coming into season and then you have this time off and, um, 20 some days to hunt in September and, um, you really like to elk hunt, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here in Colorado, we're such an opportunity state for elk. So, you know, like I mentioned, I'm definitely not, um, saying no to any opportunities to get into the field. I I would love to hunt mule deer or whitetail or really anything with my bow, as much as I love elk. But here in Colorado, really big elk herd, um, opportunity stay with a lot of over the counter units. And so that's just kind of been, uh, where I've spent the majority of my time so far.
0: Cool. And then, um, so this season went hard, created some opportunities, got close or, um, how'd it go down?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I kind of hunted like two core areas in the state. Um, I had a couple of buddies, um, down in the Southwest corner by where I was living, um, that were ready to get after it, so we we got out for a couple trips together, um, and then another uh, group of buddies up in the northern chunk of the state um, that I got out with for a couple different trips as well. So I kind of bounced back and forth between <laughs> uh, a unit way up north and then a couple units way down south, um, and. You know, in the earlier weeks of the season, we were we were getting into elk more consistently. Um, we're hearing some vocalizations, and that's another thing that I've practiced a ton um, since getting into it, just trying to have as many tools in the toolbox as you can. Like they say, uh, working on my calling a lot and not trying to only rely on calling, but being able to utilize that if the elk are talking, so early in the season we were getting some vocalizations and able to create some opportunities that way, um, and in close. And since I had so much time, I kind of took the approach early on that I wanted to, you know, hunt with my buddies and help call for them or help work into setups with them. And if it happened for me, great, but I had the whole month. Um, so that was kind of those earlier weeks. We, we had some chances. And then it seemed like as the month went on, um, the chances were, were fewer and far between with a a couple close really encounters where I even got the full draw, um, three separate times on, on three different bulls and, uh, just did not have that, that window of opportunity to release an arrow. So it was just a month of grinding. I think all in, it was, you know, well over 175 miles on foot, um, and just came up, A little short, but that's so killer.
0: Yeah, but um, and and that's the thing to walk away with, dude. Is you're gonna have more success as these years come on. Like you're gonna kill a bull year after year with the work that you put in and your dedication and to to all the different facets of hunting. But what you did too is like um, you went in with a good attitude. Like it doesn't do anybody any good when you go hunting with buddies. If you're real competitive back and forth, like, you know, everybody wants to give a chance, but there's, there's also a time to let your buddy get an opportunity and just kind of enjoy the experience. So you were a really good friend at the beginning of the season <laughs> and tried to call for these guys because you figured you had time on your side. And the thing about elk hunting in the rut is that elk hunting in the rut like these spots are timing when they really come in and they're really breeding cows or when they're in the public land sometimes like they're in the mountains and then you know as it gets to post rut they come out of the mountains and come down to private where you can't chase them or it seems like every elk spot I hunt they're so nomadic that it's almost like timing when it's good and so when it was really good hunting you were doing a lot of the calling and trying to help your buddies be successful and had some close calls and then as it got towards the end of the season you know they 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 weren't as easy to find weren't as easy to get on and um and then that one opportunity you had like um you think the whole season like all you need I just need to get in bow range of a bull I just need to get close and then you get into bow range and you realize that's only half the battle like getting a (laughs) shot at those things is the other half of the battle they never stop moving they never give you good angles they're always on the other side of the herd like they just have a knack for making the right moves you know so good on you for drawing back three times and letting down and not flinging like a, a big mistake with elk it's so exciting and so thrilling and they're bugling and sometimes you finally have one in range and you come back to full draw and he starts walking and you panic and loose the arrow you know like that's that that's a beginner move that happens or even a a a move that an experienced hunter can make as well you know you just like panic but but you kept your cool and i'm i'm surprised you didn't kill that bull with that approach uh, of waiting for that right angle but like i say it's It's only half the battle getting close, like those things getting a shot. And whether it's mule deer or elk or whatever it is, they just have a knack for for not quite giving you that opportunity. Or you'll hear guys say all the time is I just needed them to take one more step, you know, full draw. His vitals were behind the tree. One more step, you know, and it's it seems like those bulls just have a knack for making the right moves. And, and leaving us hunters heartbroken with needing one more step or whatever the case, you know?
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, looking back on it now, you know, the heartbreak is, is that much more real? Whereas in the moment you feel it, but if you've got time, you're like, all right, let's keep going, you know? And that that's kind of what I try to think about in the field too, is, is just taking wins when you can get them, you know, did, did we get that bull to, to call back and did he come in Um or, or did we learn something there? Like that, that's a win. And, um, you know, at the time in the field, I, you know, I, I take those wins, learn from them and keep going. And I was actually just texting a buddy earlier today about a a guy on social had posted about killing his first bull in like the first hour of the first day of Colorado season. And it was a huge, really nice bull. And, um, this guy has been reaching out to me as he's a, a new archer and, we have a couple mutual friends, but I told them I walk around the woods just repeating to myself, um, "It can change at any moment. It can change at any moment." Because, you know, I, I just I feel like if I keep that mentality and I, you know, I take those wins and learn from them, and and eventually it'll click. Eventually it'll come together. Or eventually it will change at any moment, and I'll, I'll be positive and I'll be ready to to capitalize on it.
0: Oh, I guarantee you will. It's coming. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. Like it's a, uh, you have to be almost an internal optimist, you know? Um, and, and once you yep. get a few animals under your belt too, you just start to believe you start to get confidence. And even when a hunt's not going my way or I'm down on days and I can't even find any animals, I still have this belief that I'm going to find a critter and going to put a good arrow in him. And a lot of times if I keep putting forth effort, it's amazing what happens, you know, like two days in the future, a day in the future, even like you say, the next hour, something can come together. But, man, you have the perfect attitude. That's exactly what it is, is taking those wins when you get them. It's yeah. um, like when I, you know, and you have to enjoy the process of hunting. It's just, it's not all about the big bull at the end of the rainbow or the cow or the, the buck or whatever it is, you know, like, like sure that's nice and that's the trophy or that's the, the, the goal at the end of the day. Um, but it's taken those wins along the way and and it's. Like like for me, when I get a good stock on a buck and like I was just down hunting the desert down there and I got this really good play on this buck, I had him at 44 yards, uh, he slipped me, he left the does, went up, started rutting another doe, I got another close encounter with him and it didn't work out, I didn't lose an arrow, I had my buddy on the vantage point that watched the whole thing and we're in day three of the hunt and I – you know, I've got it so far to hike back to him now, like down and up these canyons and get back. And it was just like, man, that was the best. That was like worth the price of admission. It was worth the whole drive down here, 20 hours. It was worth the money, the gas, the tags. Like, man, that was it. Like that, I, you know, I had this close encounter with him. And to me, like, that's the fun of it. And, And wouldn't you know, it just relax and keep hunting hard and eventually get an opportunity at a real nice dark horn buck and put a perfect arrow in him. But I was having fun and enjoying it the whole time. And I think it is taking those wins, like you say, of of having a bull answer back or taking those wins. uh, Gosh, we hiked in here and we thought it was going to be good. And we found bucks in here. Like it is good. That's a win. You know, I got a stock today. You know, getting a stock is how I'm going to kill one of these things. And if I can get, you know, a stock a day or a stock every other day, like that's a win, you know? So I think you're right. It's taking those wins, learning from the losses or the mistakes and, man, they're just going to happen. Like those, they have such good instincts and they're so keen, like, you know, their, their whole job is to pick up predators and to live up live another day, you know? And so like, um, you know, even with the best laid plans and the best hunting skill in the world, I still fail a lot. It just, it's just part of the game, you know? So you got to be able to like swallow that and take that in and not let it ruin you, which you obviously, obviously haven't, you're still on that learning curve And man, just take those wins where they're at, and try to keep learning and getting better. And eventually, it just starts coming together. It starts clicking, just like you're saying.
1: Yep, yep. And congrats on that New Mexico deer, by the way. That was a great buck, and I always love following along on your stories. I love how you share them. So, congrats on a great buck there. And yeah, you know, we we've talked about you know different strategies or or different folks in the industry, and there's a lot of positive. Uh, people in the hunting industry, which I love—not the hunting—and you know, just the people who dedicate their lives to this. But something I've really tried to to pick up from you, or just remind myself of of something that you do, is your your positive attitude. Um, it's it's super contagious to be around somebody like yourself, or or just somebody with a you know a can-do spirit and a positive attitude. Um, and even if you're by yourself, if you can even fake it till you make it like that, like just convince yourself that, uh, it's the best damn day you've ever had. You're going to create that chance and maintaining that positivity does so much for, for hunting and just, um, for people in general in life. So that's something I always try to, to maintain when I'm out in the field is any day on the mountain is better than a day in the city, in my opinion, um, so that's a, that's a win right there. And then just staying positive and, and taking those small wins where you can get them. Cause they'll add up and, and eventually it'll translate to success.
0: And spot on. Yep. I think so. Like, um, and, it, and it's tough. It's not fun all the time. Um, It's tough when you run into a lot of hunting pressure, you know, I've, I know I've heard that this year and, you know, I've also seen it as well, you know, with, with COVID, there was a lot of people with free time and a lot more people taken to the mountains. And with that comes more hunting pressure and we want to spread the word of hunting. Um, I just don't want to see boot tracks where I'm at. <laughs> like, like part of the enjoyment is finding your own experience. Um, but I just still think there's your, there. you know, there's a good experience everywhere. I hunt a lot of high pressure places. And I'm just able to find those pockets that are away from people and go have my own experience and find critters. Like, like there's always a way. And sometimes it's just timing. Like, uh, guys just happen to hunt this place the same day I plan to hunt it. Or, um, you know, I get to a spot and, and, and there are already guys in there, you know. And, and so, you know, at, at that point, it's just calling an audible. And if I see guys, I tend to go the other direction or try to find a different hunt I can do. And um, it, it seems like there's still... Uh, uh, plenty of country to roam out there. there there's, there's pr- plenty of habitat. And, um, you know, I, I've let it get to me before where you see guys and you're packed all the way back into this place and, and, um, you know, I'll, I'll let it get to me, but, but even with people in units, there's all, there's still the same animals around. And, um, it, it's just our job to, to keep hiking or to keep trying to look or go find a, another place where we can find our own experience. And so, like I think um, I kind of deal with the pressure as, as trying to just avoid it, go the other way, put in the work to get away from it, and can kind of find my own experience. Um, what do you find yourself doing when you run into pressure?
1: Yeah, so um, I can't remember who said. I think it might have been Mark Livesey, but just just talking about hunting through pressure. You know, not not being disrespectful, but um, you know, just going into the field with the mentality that there's going to be people out here. That's okay. Um, you're just going to work through the, the area or the zone that you got or the unit that you got until you find a, a good area. And so, um, you know, here in Colorado, I don't think there's any shortage of, of backcountry hunters that are willing to, to charge the mountain and, you know, get deep. And so, um, I, I've just been trying to, to soak up anything that uh, people are putting out there about how to get creative with their map reading. Um, and, again, Mark is an incredible example of that. His his Treeline Academy um, is, like, next level e-scouting. Um, so, yeah, just trying to get creative about, um, you know, sitting right outside of a wilderness area. If everybody's going to go where it's um, – deep in the wilderness. Like how can I work around that zone and some national forest or some BLM that might be getting neglected? Um, you know, trying to find dead end roads and then, um, you know, picking us, just picking a spot on the road and just charging up the side of a hill where it's super nasty and using my long legs and my fitness to get away from people. So I was trying to get creative and, and know that, like you said, the animals are, are likely still in that area or will be at some point during the season. And it's just a, about creating those at bats for me and, and checking spots off the map. If they're not here, all right, I'm going to keep working and, and try to go find where they are at. Cause sometimes it'll take many days before you even get into them.
0: Yeah. I like that. I like using uh, like what you said, using your e-scouting and, and also, you know, using your advantages as a human being, those long legs and really good shape to go cover country and get back in there. But I like what you said about e-scouting. And it seems like um, it seems like the animals are always where people aren't like. Uh, I mean, they can be in the area where people are. Don't get me wrong. But it just seems like um, that animals are always in a pocket where they're not getting bothered. And an elk. Are so nomadic, and I know you know I hunt some high pressure places, and and this year you know a lot of the places I hunted there was a lot of people around. I mean a lot. I hunt um, some of the highest pressure areas, but you know I I also notice like uh, everybody kind of brings a different skill set and a different approach, and and I know you know the the few drainages that I was hunting these elk in, you know I was traveling with my camp on my back. And I was able to move with the herd and move to different vantage points where guys were day hunting back and forth to their camp. And I also found that you know, guys were walking around calling quite a bit and not really using the vantage points or glassing where the elk were, more just trying to locate them and work the bull that would answer them. And so my approach to it was just totally different than everybody else's. And so even though we had pressure in this unit or in this area, you know, between me and my buddy being able to travel with our camp on our back and and go to these vantage points, we were just able to get away from it. And it seems like I can always kind of just get away from it. And the other thing I found, like we climbed this mountain, there was elk all over it the one day. And, um, you know, I got the play on him. Nobody else got the drop on the elk. And so I got this play on the herd. And I, um, gosh, I could have shot all the cows. I drew on this big, mudded up six point. I drew on him once and he started walking. And then he never did stop. And I had to let down. And then I got into him and they were glunking and bugling. And I mean, it's just chaos. But it was, they were kind of on an open flat and I didn't have a play. So I thought, well, I'll leave him for morning. And in, in the morning. Um, They kind of worked their way around this hillside, and and all of a sudden the world just knew they were there, so they were up on this 10,000-foot peak, and so um, hiked to where they went over, tried to play them in the morning, still had the drop on the elk, and then by the time I made that 10,000-foot peak, we kind of grabbed a vantage point up there. I'd met my buddy Rob. He met me over there, hunted with me that morning. I had it to myself the night before. And um, we got up on this top and we figure, oh, these elk, you know, I think they're going to come out of this timber and do this. I've seen them do this before, but the people just started coming out of everywhere. Like they had chased those elk in the timber. There was guys that came up and I think I saw like 10 different bros that climbed that 10,000 foot peak that day. <laughs> like ten different guys you run into and just go, oh hey, how's it do- how's it going? Like walk up to the same shaded tree up on the top of this ten thousand foot peak. It's like, and we had to start from you know it's like thirty five hundred feet of elevation. Like it's a big go. And I mean I I'm seeing guys from from all over the place you know that come up and and so you know finally I told Rob I said man I don't think these elk are still in here. I I think they worked them through this timber and they called at them and they side hilled over and they did this deal. And so we're trying to figure out what we're going to do. And there's still guys sitting on the top, but I said, man, it's early in the, you know, it's 11 o'clock today. I don't think guys are going to sit up here all day. You know, they didn't bring enough water. They can't camp up here. They have a camp. Like they're going to sit up here for a couple hours and they're going to go down and, Sure enough, that's what happened, and it left me and Rob sitting on this vantage point for evening, and sure enough, we found where all these elk went, joined up with another group of elk, and now they're just rutting in three drainages, and there's nobody around because it's the evening, and nobody stayed up there all day, so now we've got the drop on them, and there's nobody hunting these elk that are in these drainages, and and we went down. I was close that night. Gosh, I I had this bull in bow range, and... He ended up um getting downwind of me and finally blowing, but we had a stare down for ten minutes where he was in bow range, he was just kinda quartered towards me, and I just didn't feel comfortable with the shot, just too much angle, and then Rob was close, he was close on a bull and anyways, the point of my story is is that like um nobody hunts the same ways and, and, and not that you know i've got the the most hunting skill in the world but at the same time i uh you know my hunting knowledge like i sometimes i give guys too much credit or feel like maybe they're hunting my style when they're not you know their style is to to bugle through the timber get one to answer work that bull and shoot it and they pro- they might have a chance at a bull doing it that way that day but my play is different on those elk and my play happened to be unique between the twelve guys or ten guys that were up on that hill that day. And so, you know, we still got into elk, but just a little story about pressure that I that I think's funny because not everybody's hunting your style or your techniques or your tactics, you know, that that they can even though there's pressure around, they're not really running your deal or your program. So just something I learned this year that I picked up.
1: No, I I love it, Brian. I learn from you every time you share a a hunting story, so I I soak it all up, but I think uh, something that kind of perked my interest there is just you talking about different styles and and something that I've kind of realized looking back on this past season is, you know, identifying areas of strengths and areas of weakness um, that I have as a hunter, and, you know, I, I just said something that I think is a strength of mine is my physical fitness and my ability to cover ground, um, over the years have been working to improve my e-scouting, but I think something that I really need to focus on going into next season is really leveling up my knowledge of the game that I'm pursuing. Um, you know, when it comes to their, their habits, their food, um, because one of the bigger challenges for me has, has not necessarily been just finding elk, but, but staying into them too, or, or knowing, what to do next. If you're in good elk country, you see some, and then all of a sudden it seems like the country's empty. Um, so I think something for me to, to kind of take away from that story and uh, something I've taken away from some of my experiences is, you know, each year I, I've grown as a hunter or leveled up or increased a skill set, you know, in the early days, it's like, all right, I just need to basically get the gear so I can go out there And then you start becoming more proficient with your weapon when you're practicing. And and some of those boxes are checked for me now, but I think something I really need to focus on is, is leveling up my knowledge of the game that I'm pursuing. And, you know, some of that comes with repetitions, but there's also, you know, work that I can be doing in the off season to be that much more prepared uh, for next fall.
0: Yeah. I think that's great insight. Yeah. I I, I think you're, you're spot on. And, and and those elk um we hunted them that day in that drainage and then you know they kind of clear out like you say elk is like all or none either you're into them and you're not they're just so nomadic through country and so like i just heat check a lot of drainages until i can find those things but these elk um they disappeared you know rob had his close encounter i had mine you know the it doesn't feel like you spooked a hundred elk or it doesn't but you know a couple of them felt the pressure and all of a sudden you know the we slept in the dirt in different places because we ended up different places on this on this giant mountain where we chase these things. But but um, so we slept there and then it was like, OK, where did they go from here? They're not here this morning. And so then we followed them over and, you know, another two drainages over. Then we found the elk party where they joined up with some other ones. And now, you know, we're the only ones that have the drop on this drainage. We're the only ones hunting it. And we ended up hunting it. You know that night and the next day and getting close um but we were totally out of food totally out of water and so we had to make a bonsai trip out however many miles back to the truck and then refuel our stuff and we made it back in that night so we did a quick turnaround all the way out all the way back in with more supplies and um yeah we still had the the drop on those herds and nobody around even though it's a high pressure unit it's just kind of where the elk ended up at and um I ended up killing a a nice six point the next day. Um, He's working a, uh, working some cows and just kind of worked myself into range. And actually my wind got a little dicey. And so I backed out of there and I backed out. And um, then I, I looked down below me and here comes a cow walking by me. And sure enough, the bull I wanted, the bull I'd been chasing, this big lopsided six point mature bull came right behind her. And I was able to duck down and kind of close the distance and get a good shot on him and put him down. But yeah, man. I mean, I'm with you. I think um, the e-scouting is such a major portion of it, of being able to pick, you know, country that does have elk, but it's like you can go into the best drainage in the world. And if the elk, like if the timing isn't right, the elk won't be in there. But if you were there two days ago, it would have been the most insane elk party you've ever seen. <laughs> so I think it's like identifying really good elk terrain and habitat in these drainages and then just going in and heat checking it. And then, like with your fitness like you can carry your camp on your back you check that drainage and if they're not there you know you just start cruising the ridgeline and looking the next drainage looking over the next one like just keep traveling this network of country until you know you can run into where the elk actually are and and it you know like i say you can go into the best spot and if it, the timing isn't right there won't be an elk in there sometimes you get in there and all you see is elk sign and tracks and it's like man they were just here it's like okay, where did they, where did they go? Where did they head off to? Um because there'll be, you know, 10 drainages that don't hold elk and there'll be one that's going insane with elk action. And that one that's going insane, it may change tomorrow. It may be two drainages to the south or it may be four drainages to the south or it it's like always changing in there. So it's like it's like trying to trying to catch this trying to hit a moving target almost, you know?
1: <laughs> no, that's great advice. I I was going to ask uh you know for your advice for uh you know a hunter looking to to level up their ability to to stay on elk but you you went right into it on you know doing the work uh at home first to identify good elk country and then you know when it comes down to season just putting in the miles to to check spots off until you do find that one place that's fire and um you know that's great advice if you were going to continue down that same path like what other strategies would you use or what kind of advice would you have for somebody, um, who's really just looking to, you know, take all that work in the off season and then be more consistent at, at creating those opportunities come fall.
0: Yeah. Good question. I think it's exactly that. I think it's, um, you know, I'm able to identify elk terrain as I, as I know where, what they prefer where I'm at. And so, you know, I I look for for feeding features and and you know like like you said, Mark Lively is great at his e scouting, but I, I look for big drainages and I just look for these different hikes and different hunts and drainages that are out of the way, drainages that link together, and so I look for these spots and then I just have myself a plan. And, um, you know, like my Montana elk season, there was a, a a lot of pressure this year in that spot. And I started heat checking a lot of my spots that are good. And a lot of these spots, man, it's like years worth of knowledge of hunting the same area. You know, I probably have seven years worth of knowledge in this area that I'm hunting in Montana, maybe even eight. And so, you know, I've, I've got my butt kicked over there. But through the years, you kind of learn these places that elk prefer. And so it's like, okay, this is great elk habitat in this drainage. I see elk sign here. Like, even if I don't see an elk in here, this is a good spot to see elk. And I come up with these these hunts that all... And most of my elk hunting is like mobile vantage points. I don't really use master vantage points as much for elk hunting during the rut. Um, I I, I'll roll through country. Like I got a hike planned and I'll start my hike and I'll start it an hour before daylight or an hour and a half before daylight bulls and elk rut so hard in the dark. Like when you hear them in the morning, usually it's just tailing off for the morning and then they're going to quiet up for the day. That's just an extension of the rut that they had during the night. Dude, the real party is at night. So they, they go crazy and rut crazy at night. And so a night's like another opportunity to locate elk. Like the key, like you said, you just want to get into elk and be into elk and you do anything to get into elk. Well, the to do anything, it's like you start hiking early and you listen in the dark. And you listen for these bulls bugling. My buddy Dylan Ness killed a giant bull this year that he heard an hour before light by hiking into this drainage in the dark, heard the bull, then he kept with him all day long and ended up arrowing him in the evening. But if you hear a bull bugler, if you hear him bugling in the dark, you know it's not a human, you know it's a bull, and you start working that direction. Now you got to play for the day. So I start working in early, and then I just take those early morning hours, those two hours that are good hunting where elk are active. And I try to work down a place that's going to give me a visual, maybe the other side of a canyon. Uh, Maybe I'm working a ridgeline that will give me looks down different basins. Anything that's going to get me a look at a lot of different country. And I just hike in the morning. And and I hike hard and I put on a lot of miles. And then once I'm done with my morning hunt, if I don't have a play, then I'm definitely going someplace else for evening. And and I'm going to go do the same thing in the evening. And now in the evening when I finish my hunt, I'm going to walk out in the dark. And and even when I get back to camp, so that middle of the day, I don't do a whole lot unless I've got elk located. Sometimes I'll sit on a vantage point, but I try to conserve my energy and get on the elk schedule. And so during the day, I mean, dude, you won't catch me taking a nap any time of the year, but you will catch me taking a nap that time of the year because I've got to go so hard in the dark. So I'm making the most out of my morning hunts and out of my evening hunts and then even in the dark at night like I'll go hike to the edge of drainages or if I'm hunting road systems I'll drive that road and I'll get out and I'll listen and and when you get out and when you listen like it like I say that elk party happens at night and and a lot of times you know, I'll just listen over a drainage, and all of a sudden I'll hear a couple bugles. Well, now i got to play for the morning. You know, Now I know where some elk are, and I'm going to dive in there in the morning, and now I'm actively hunting those elk. And the more I can be hunting elk and making plays and trying to kill one, just the better my chances of getting an arrow in that thing. So the same as you, I'm always trying to keep myself in elk. Uh, I have a maze of places that I've e-scouted, and even this year that Montana bull that I ended up killing – it was a place I e-scouted. I had never stepped foot in there. It was a place I wanted to go. I made sense of it that I had ran into elk a couple drainages over, and I thought they were filtering into this big, vast drainage with no roads in it. And so it was a place I always wanted to go. And exact same thing. I just took off down that thing for an evening hunt, got down to the bottom and um, glassed up some some cows. And I thought, God, there's got to be a bull there and saw a little raghorn five. And I thought, God, that can't be the herd bull. It's middle of the rut. And pretty soon just the widest, biggest bull comes out to go chase these cows, you know, and starts rutting these cows. And he's just a giant. And um, now I got him all to myself, and I'm in the middle of this drainage that I just hiked in in the evening just to heat check, had never walked in there. And and now I got him. And I hunted him that night and couldn't really make a good play on him with the ways the way the winds are. Went back in the morning, located him around the corner, wasn't ready to go all in as they were feeding in the bottom. So I just kind of kept there, kept my wind dry. And then he started working up the canyon. I was just gonna follow him to his bed and try to get a play, but they worked around a corner where you know I could I had a good wind and could get over the top. And so that's what I did, and came over the top and caught that bull like rutting a cow over there, and able to put a, a good arrow in him and kill him. Ran right over the hill and died, and it's like a a perfect dream story. But you know that night, I mean, I was just you know the night before, and that you know, that morning I knew there was an elk in there, but the night before, man, I was just making a hike into country, just heat checking it. Never been there.
1: No, that's great. You got me fired up for, for elk season, man. Your, your positivity is so contagious, like I said. Um, but no, I actually, uh, kind of tried that strategy for, uh, for the first time this year of checking some different spots at night. Um, and, Uh, right at the start of the season, actually, we we spent about three days in a super high elevation spot and just found a ton of old sign and nothing was fresh. So we ended up relocating like the other side of the range, went into a lower elevation spot and, uh, you know, hiked way back in. And that night there was a rut party right around us and woke up to, to bugling bulls all around us. And that was one of the days where we actually had a close encounter and um, I definitely think I'll be utilizing that strategy more in the future as as tough as it, as it is to uh, you know be on the top of a ridge at, at midnight or one or two in the morning or whatever it um, it, w- it was beneficial for me this year and I think I'll definitely be looking to utilize that again
0: yeah that's the key is just to keep yourself in elk if you're in elk long enough you'll get narrow in one you know you just got to keep trying to get into them and make things happen, you know, keep trying to find them. But I think that's a lot of the skill of elk season is just um, like you say, like constantly putting yourself in elk and giving yourself a chance.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: Yep. So like I just make a plan for those drainages you're going to hike and just stick to your plan and you hike one drainage, you know, you pay attention to sign and what you see in there and make sure that you're hiking, you know, the best spots at the prime times because during the middle of the day, dude, you can walk into the best elk spot in the world in the middle of the day and not see an elk and think it's junk and leave. You know, it's just, it doesn't tell you much in the middle of the day. Those elk, they just get to cover so hard and, and they can tuck in cover. I mean, I've had 100 elk around me or 150 or the most insane day of elk hunting and by 10 30, 11 o'clock in the morning, you can't find an elk again until four or five o'clock, you know, and so. Uh, you have to be in those spots at the right times to see if there's elk in there and um yeah, so I think it's just picking those spots, hiking in and heat checking, and then trying to get yourself into those elk and keep yourself into those elk.
1: yeah, that's great advice no I, I learn from you every time you uh you share your stories and experiences, so even if I've heard the same story or the same point several times it's it's about you know getting those reps in, learning every time so. I love it, man. I'm fired up for elk season.
0: <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm ready to go hunt them as well. Yeah. Elk are pretty fun and pretty thrilling. And like you say, you've got a great opportunity being there in Colorado is a lot of over the counter units. It's almost, um, you guys almost have too many elk. Like it's almost a problem trying to pick where you're going to hunt or what unit you're going to choose.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that's been part of my challenge as well is finding, you know, different areas. Cause you know, I don't have the family experience of going out to a camp that family's been going to for a long time, or, or um, you know, I, I don't have that experience here. So I've basically just been picking a spot on the map um, and trying to figure it out. So you know, I put a lot of work in in the off season, um, even boots on the ground, getting in and scouting, especially when I moved out to the southwest corner, um, to area of the state that's that's known for elk hunting. So I would have my bag packed up just about every day at work. And as soon as, as soon as that uh, clock hits five, uh, I'm out there putting boots on the ground and trying to physically scout. But um, you know, it's, for me, it's just about getting out there again, learning each and every time I go out there and and getting better, but I've hunted new units um, just about every single year, except for my first two years. Um, But you know, each, each day and each week and each month that I spend in those units, I learn them more and more, and, and those will be spots that I can continue to develop my understanding of into the future, and I love the adventure, too, of going and checking out new spots.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. I think it is a mix and match because – you know, learn in one spot and the knowledge you gain year after year, you get to learn where elk like and where elk prefer. And you kind of get money spots that you can go check in on that you, that you knows great elk habitat, that you know, those elk like, or that you can count on for finding elk, you know? So you definitely learn that over the years, but it's, it's also like it's, you have to be an explorer and be good at finding new country and be good at finding new spots or hunting new units because everything's always changing, you know? And so you know, you get stuck in a rut and you know how to hunt one spot, well, all of a sudden, if that spot starts to go downhill or it starts to get more pressure or you can't find elk in your honey holes, you're stuck in this rut of not knowing how to hunt any other spot. And so... I think that's really important is to mix and match like you're doing, like being able to go into these un- new units and, and dissect them and learn. And, and once you find a good unit or a good spot or good locations that you like, you know, then I think it's it's developing those further. Now you got – you know, uh, uh, you, you got a, an ace in the hole, you know, you, you got like a, a good spot you can count on and then you keep exploring new spots while checking in on those old good spots. Uh, but I really do think it's a mix and match where you don't want to get all the way stuck in a rut, but you also, you know, want to gain those years of experience because it makes you more effective and more efficient. And like this year hunting New Mexico um, for deer, you know, it's a low population area and this desert habitat for mule deer is a new one that I'm trying to dial in and really figure out. Like, uh, you know, I'd say my specialty over the years has been the high country stuff is really learning that and getting good at that habitat. And then, you know, the, the foothills or the badlands, like I'm good at that habitat because I've been hunting it for years and know where the deer like and what they prefer, but these low population units and, um, desert, and I do hunt desert quite a bit. Uh, just that desert of the South, I almost classify as a touch different, you know, with all the cactus and, and really low populations. And, and it's got me adapting my tactics a touch and it's, um, Gosh, it's refreshing, man. It's like it's like good to have this challenge. And so go down there in low populations and like um like me and Marlin were talking about, walking the washes looking for sign. Uh, water was so important, you know. I've never seen a, a mule deer drink in the country that I hunt. It's just like they get a lot of their water from their food source. But down there in the desert you know, they didn't need water this time of year because it's the middle of winter and it's not that hot and they can get it through their cactus and through their feed as well. I did see some deer drink, um, but they have to get a drink every couple of days. Or what I found is that the mule deer population had to exist around water. So even though I didn't see them drinking water every day, like this mule deer population or this pocket of deer would be around these water sources. And then you could go for five or 10 miles and I couldn't find a deer i couldn't e I couldn't even find a doe on the hillside. There was nothing, and so like I'm trying to dial in these lower population units and and and, and trying to figure them out in this in this uh, extreme desert environment and it's been really fun figuring them out but now like now that I have um I've started to focus on mule deer and like this year in that unit, now I've got a season under my belt. I've got a couple 2-3 hot spots that produce for us really well and, and then I can continue to learn by adding new spots to that. So I'm only going to get better at hunting this unit especially now that I've got, you know, three good spots I can count on and now I've got the flexibility and freedom to go find that fourth good spot or that fifth good spot. And once you have that many good spots to rotate and you're you're looking over 30 to 40 does in each spot it's just a matter of time before you turn up one of those big dark horned, heavy horned hammers you know and so yeah that's kind of the the game that i'm always playing as well
1: i love it i love it i love hearing you talk about the different adventures and challenges that you take on too um you know we we talked about it early in the call but if if hunting and, and bow hunting in particular wasn't as difficult as it is um, it likely wouldn't draw in the, the people that it does. And so that challenge is um, why a lot of people do it, or it's a huge reason why a lot of people do it. And um, you've got me intrigued on the desert chase as well. I, we talked about that at the summit um, and the opportunity and in, in that kind of off season um, for most big game hunters kind of be in the winter for a lot of us guys and, um, and still being able to get out there and and chase big critters with the bow. And I've got a really good buddy, my best buddy from school, um, lives in, in Phoenix. And so I'm, I'm kind of scheming and plotting with him to use his place as home base to, to potentially get out there. I think next year we're going to put a date on the books for, for 2022 and, and get out and chase some mule deer out near him.
0: Oh man. Awesome. Yeah. You won't regret it. Just like you say, it's, um, you know, the the challenge is really fulfilling and, and just the adventure in our lives that us blue-collar guys can can go have this super adventure in the mountains and in the desert. And it's um, – it, they're just the prettiest places on planet Earth. And and then you get to go – like you were talking about the grind. Like I just love it. I love sleeping in the dirt. I love uh, hunting hard every day and being tired. And the more miles or the longer the stock is, the more I enjoy it. You know, it's just like um, – it's, it's such a, it's such a fun endeavor that we found. I'm just glad that, that, that you found it as well. And other guys do and connect with the podcast and, and, um, and, and like the same thing that I do, but yeah, man, it's so cool. These adventures that we get to go on and, and you're just getting started, man. You're expanding your horizons and, and, uh, I have no doubt you're going to see nothing but success, man. You just got the right attitude, the right approach you're putting in the work. So, uh, I think this is your year.
1: Heck yeah, man! Smiles and miles, baby. That's what I always say. Smiles and miles. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, I appreciate the kind words, Brian. Uh, something that was was pretty cool for me too, going up to that Western Hunting Summit. Um, because I, you know, I don't have like a mentor per se here in Colorado that I'm learning from on a regular basis. Um, but getting to go up there and be surrounded by um, some of the top level hunters, um, it was in a way. Um, you know, it, it kind of confirmed some of what I was doing. Cause a lot of the times I go out in the woods and I don't know if I'm doing something right or doing something wrong <laughs> until I, you know, do it wrong and learn from it. But spending time with, with guys like yourself and and all the great folks who were at the summit, um, you know, kind of confirmed like, uh, you know, I am doing some things right. I, you know, I, I hear these things on a podcast, I go out into the field and I try to implement them and been doing that for years now. And so I was like, all right, I've got a decent foundation here. I'm doing some of the right things. And if I just keep at it and trust in the process, then that consistent success is bound to happen because I'm willing to work until it does.
0: (laughs) Man, that's, um, yeah, that's so it. A lot of times it's just knowing the right move to make. Like uh, I know, you know, early in my hunting career, you know, I, I guess I didn't really have a plan. I was just out in the woods and kind of doing it. But it it seems like once you kind of know what you're looking for and you're able to recognize it, or like you said, like knowing you're making the right moves, knowing you're putting in the right training, knowing you're doing the right thing, just gaining that confidence of knowing that you know you, you're going through the right process is huge. You know, because uh, being out there and not really knowing the answer, like like what I think about is like stalking um, high country muleys in their bed, in their second bed, in the afternoon, getting the thermals right. And I'm I'm sure you've heard it talked about, but when I first started, you know, it was just kind of see a mule deer and go try to kill it. Like I didn't ever have a plan or I couldn't find those deer in a susceptible spot because I wasn't sitting back watching them. You know, I was just kind of, I was just kind of finding them and making plays and screwing things up and I wasn't getting anything right. And once I, I started to go, okay, no, I need to get high percentage opportunities and, In high percentage on these deer, no, I'm just going to watch them because now I've got winded so many times, and I know I can't move in when these these winds are moving around, so I'm just going to sit here and watch, and then, you know, watching them move to their beds, and then go, okay, now I can get the wind right. Now, you know, my approach is so good on a bedded buck because I know they're going to stay still. I'm not going to get there, and they're going to be gone, like – hunting them in that style like it like it's all these lessons that I had to learn to where now you know I know the right moves and I know what I'm looking for on mule deer and an elk is more of a mobile stock and I know that I've got to get the wind right but you know I'm going to be aggressive and go get into them and then I'm going to take what they give me and and I'm not going to give myself away I'm going to keep shadowing the herd until I see that spot where I can get in there and get into range or maybe that won't happen and I'll shadow him to his bed but I'm gonna wait till he gets up tonight and comes out in that feeding feature and I'm gonna try to stick him there or you know seeing a bull bed down and now it's like okay he didn't disappear in the thick cover now I see him bedded in the open and I see where his cows are now I can hunt him like a muley buck in his bed and I know he's not gonna leave and I can really take my time but I I think there's there, there's a real important point that you made there, Austin, about like knowing the right moves and gaining confidence in that. I think that's like a real key to success is, is having a game plan, like knowing what you're looking for and then capitalizing on it. and And I think you're right in that process, of, of where you, you you're doing a lot of the right things, so you're doing all the right things, and you're putting in the time and effort, and you're learning from your encounters, and you're getting better in pr- improving exponentially at this point, you know, your learning curve is skyrocketing and it's just putting all those things together and putting that arrow in that good bowl. And, um, man, you're a hero.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, thanks again, Brian. I appreciate the kind words. Sometimes it it does take, uh, you know, somebody else just kind of hyping you up a little bit or instilling some confidence in you. Um, and you know, I, I get that from, from different parts of, of my life, whether it You know, is the physical grind or uh, the professional success or success in my relationship or family values, whatever it is. But, you know, when you can connect with other people that that share a passion for something like bow hunting and the challenge and then, you know, hear somebody like yourself just say, you know, hey, man, keep at it. You're doing a lot of the right things. Um, It's great to hear. So I appreciate you you know, chatting with me and and sharing some words of encouragement like that.
0: Yeah, no worries. My pleasure, man. And uh, anytime, I really appreciate you like sharing our conversation on the podcast. I just like, um, you know, where you're at in your journey, I think it's so beneficial and helpful for guys. And it's help for, helpful for me to hear your challenges as well, you know, and and, and be able to relate to them. And, and so I just really appreciate you being open and willing to come on the podcast. You're so well-spoken and working so hard. Like uh, I knew you'd be perfect for it, but thank you. I appreciate you.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely, Brian. I, like I mentioned, I've gotten so much from this podcast, so much from the hunting community. Um, I'm only five years into this thing and I'm, I'm fully obsessed. So, uh, love what you do, man. And stoked that we're able to connect and, you know, so glad I was able to meet you in person at the Western hunting summit and hope we can, uh, hang out in person sometime again soon. Um, but yeah, you know, thanks for the invite. Thanks for, for being a, such a great source of knowledge for, for somebody like myself, a new hunter like myself.
0: Yeah, man. My pleasure. Um, you got my number. Um, I consider you a friend. You call me anytime or text me or whatever comes up. Um, happy to help anywhere I can in your journey. So, uh, yeah, man. Thanks. Great podcast.
1: Heck yeah. Thanks a bunch, Brian. Keep doing. All right. Take
0: care. All right, guys, that's a wrap fun conversation with Austin um i just thought it it brought such a unique perspective uh to the podcast and and, and a great conversation to have so uh Austin he's putting in the work and working hard to build that skill set to find that success and there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to find it um so yeah it's it's um it's a fun journey and i i um it it made me remember back to to when i started and how challenging things were and and um Gosh, making a lot of mistakes along the way. But, you know, that's bow hunting or that's hunting in general. So uh, uh, you're, uh, you're bound to fail, and it's just how you learn from it and how you pick yourself up and attack again. So fun conversation. Thanks again to Austin for taking the time and being on and also being open to, to having that conversation on the podcast as well. So I appreciate him. Uh, appreciate our sponsors, all of them. Uh, for this episode, uh, thanks to Swagger Bipods, and also thanks to High Mountain Seasoning. And uh, thanks to you guys for uh, downloading and listening to the podcast. Um, I really appreciate the support. And, uh, yeah, we're just going to keep this thing rolling. Um, Got some good episodes coming up and and uh, line up some, uh, some more good ones and try to get you guys pertinent information for the time of year we're in. Um, so, yeah, that's the goal. So keep working hard on that. Make sure to check out. Uh, my other podcast, if you're into fly fishing Eastman's fly cast, um, you also check out, uh, Eastman's wingman, Todd Helms does that podcast and, um, yeah, everything we do over there at Eastman's, uh, magazines and the videos and always putting out good content. So, um, yeah, man, appreciate you guys, um, getting ready for spring bear boy. That'll be a bunch of fun. And, and, um. Yeah, just getting my name and some hats here and doing my research and my, my due diligence uh, uh, where I can draw and trying to find some good spots and some good locations for some good adventures. So, uh, training hard and trying to pull the trigger on as many of these things as I can fit in. Uh, it's just so fun in the fall when hunting season gets here to be able to cut loose and go for it. So, um. But it all starts now with the the research and applying the right places and and getting the right tags and the right opportunities and and um yeah hopefully I get lucky and draw a couple tags and and uh, have another another successful season here another good season of pushing my limits both physically and mentally and oh, it's just so fun so yeah that's what I'm up to trying to get through winter here and get to springtime but it'll be coming. So uh, thanks again to your guys' support, the podcast. I appreciate it, and I'll check in with you next week.